Thank you, Danny, for sharing. Appreciate that. I, uh, it's amazing what God does. And, uh, you know, and each of us have a, have a story. Each of us have a, a journey that we've been through and that we've, we've gone through to make it to where we are. And uh, it's incredible when you hear everybody's story about how they came to know the Lord. And I think it's an awesome thing to be able to hear those stories. <clears throat> We're in the middle of a series titled Jesus the Radical. Had some good discussion time this morning uh, about what that looks like and about what, you know, what, what the uh, Apostle Peter went through. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit more about uh, radical disciples. Last week I mentioned um, uh, that Jesus was uh, you know, not, the, not the same Jesus that we, we oftentimes see. Did you, anybody, can you go back to the last slide? Did anybody notice uh, anything strange about this picture last week? I forgot to mention it. There's a flying camel in this picture, and I totally spaced, spaced it. It's just like, you see that flying camel up there? God does really cool things in the clouds, and I totally forgot to mention it last week, so I had to put it back up there on the screen. Sorry, that has nothing to do with anything, but it's a, it's a flying camel. It's pretty cool. Doesn't it look like a flying camel? Maybe a little bit of a weird one. Maybe it's just in my head. So yeah, last week we, we talked about uh, how, how Jesus said, you know, the four faces of Jesus, where it was uh, the images that we often see and the, the reality that we see. So many times the flannel graph, flannel graph Jesus doesn't really connect to people. And um, for, for, off, for many of us, uh, Jesus connects with us on levels that are, are much different. And we just heard how, how God connected with Danny. It took something happening in his life, uh, pretty extreme something in his life, to allow Danny to, to allow God in. And uh, many times we do have to do the same thing. That, that flannel graph Jesus, that image of, that we see, uh, doesn't always connect with us, but, but something somewhere along the line uh, connects and um, Jesus becomes real to us. There were a couple of assignments given out last week. Um, there were four exactly. And I ask you to just do two of those. Anybody have any that you want to share? Uh, any, any assignments got accomplished last week? Do you remember what they were? Yes? No? Maybe? Forgive someone? Help someone? Serve someone that should be serving you? You know, sort of, sort of along those lines? I... Uh, I think those things are still important. The, the, the advantage is that, that um, you know, if you didn't get a chance to get those accomplished, um, you, you'll still get full credit for those if you turn those assignments in late. And, uh, but, but don't wait too long because time will run out. We will end up with, in many cases, not enough time. So get on it. This morning we want to look at what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. This radical Christ that we've been looking at, this radical Jesus that we've been looking at, we want to look at how we can become a disciple of, of him, a follower of him. 
We want to look at the story in the book of John. After Jesus resurrected, he told his disciples to meet him in Galilee, and that's where we pick up the story. John chapter 21. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, we'll get to it in just a minute. I want to give you a, a little bit of backstory before we actually read the story that, um, that we're going to focus on this morning. John chapter 21, starting in verse 1, is where we're going to read. Um, but once again, let me give you a little backup, uh, a little backstory. Uh, this, this story I really call it the bre- breakfast with Jesus. And, um, but in order to understand it, we want to look just a little bit about who Peter was. He had another name. His other name was Simon. Mark chapter 1 and verse 16 says, One day as Jesus walked along the seashore of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water. And they, and they were fishing for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Peter was a fisherman, but Jesus kind of changed him and made him become a fisher of men, a solid individual. Jesus could read his character. He knew what he would be. He knew what he would become, and he changed his name from Simon to Peter, which meant rock. He's that kid in class that always raised his hand and knew the answer. He was a solid individual. Peter was the rock, and Jesus could count on him. So he had another name, but he also had some foolish pride. As Jesus began to lift him up and, and account, uh, uh, hold him accountable and, and allow himself to be accountable to him, it was, it was crazy how fast Peter's head grew. He began to see others as secondary. He knew there, there was like, you know, if there was a draft day in the NFL like there, was, like there is these days, he, he would have been the first round pick in Jesus' mind. And his head grew big because of that. Often we see Peter getting a little ahead of himself. He's, he's telling everyone that you know, he's the rock and, and trying to prove that he will always be there. Jesus tells him he's the rock and he starts to explain the game plan. In Matthew 16 verse 21, he says, from, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go into Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and leading priests and teachers of the religious law. And he would be killed on the third day and he would be raised from the dead. Peter, the rock. Remember this guy that's really nice, this really strong, powerful man. He, he stands up. He says, Jesus, come here. We, we need to talk. We need to talk. And he, he shuffles over to a spot. And, and he began to reprimand Jesus for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and he says, I, I really appreciate your point of view, Peter. I really, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate your addition to the conversation. And, and it's been very helpful. And I'll definitely uh, consider your, your amazing ideas. Is that what Jesus said? No. No. He says, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Jesus puts the rock in his place. He's got another name and he has some foolish pride. And then he has an epic failure. Many times in our lives we can look back on, on failures and things that we have done in the past that have been, been monumental in our lives. And have changed us for the rest of our lives. Peter had one of those. Matthew 26, starting in verse 69. Read it with me. I don't think I've got this one on the screen. Matthew 26. Can you get there for me? Get there in your apps, Matthew 26, so you can follow along in your Bibles. Matthew 26, first, first book of the uh, New Testament, Matthew 26. Very long chapter. We get to the end of it, verse 69. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. You've heard this story. 
a servant girl came over to him and said, you were, with, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to, to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I, I don't even know the man, he said. A, later, a little later, some other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them because we can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore a curse if I'm, not, if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times to even know me. And Peter went away and wept bitterly. The man had another name, and he had some foolish pride, and he had an epic failure. He denied the very Christ that he had been following all these years. So now let's look at the early morning fish fry. Turn with me to John, John chapter 21. You got it there? It's going to take me a minute to get there, so take your time. John chapter 21. We're going to start reading in verse 1. This is an amazing story, and I, I just, I, I can't get over uh, the, the, obviously this is after Jesus' death. He's risen from the dead, and now he's going, and he's going to meet some disciples. John chapter 21, and uh, starting in verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were, were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from, from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples. So there's seven of them there. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. Right? Well, Jesus had, had resurrected, but had not, uh, is not, they're, not, they're not following Jesus now. And so they're all kind of off by themselves. And the fishermen, what would they naturally do? Well, they would probably go back to fishing. So Peter does that. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat. They caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. He said, throw, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. <laughs> so they did. They must have been really tired and, and really, really uh, just wanted some, some fish, because they're willing to try anything at this point. So they did. They couldn't haul in the net because there was so many fish in it. The disciples Jesus loved said, Peter, it's, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped it for work. He jumped into the water and headed to the shore. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the, pull, pulled the loaded net to the shore, for there were only, uh, they were only about 100 yards from shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them fish cooking over a charcoal fire with some bread. Bring some fish, Jesus said. Bring some fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net had not torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish, this is the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, 
I don't think this is a, one of those things where they're sitting around a table and, and they're saying, okay, let's have a discussion. I think this is one of those times when, when Jesus and Peter are probably, probably walking down the seashore. And Peter and Jesus were picking up rocks and they were skipping them in the water. And they were just kind of walking down the shore, having a conversation. It was like you know, typical fishermen, typical guys. How many, how many words do guys share with each other? Not, not very many, right? You get in the truck and you can drive for hours and not ever say a word. And you're fine with that, right? Because it's your guys. I think this is one of those times. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, probably walking down the shore, skipping some rocks. Simon said to him, John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. He grunts as a fisherman grunts. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Walks a few more steps down the road down the shore and tosses a few more rocks out into the, into the Sea of Galilee. Jesus says, then feed my lambs. <coughs> Around the bend, going back into another cove, Jesus says again, verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Like, not typical words between two guys, right? So, Don, do you really love me? It's fine to ask it once and kind of get a really weird smirk on your face, right? But here's two guys, two a fisherman and his, his companion walking down the shore. And he's getting real kind of antsy about this. And he's asking again, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? And notice he uses Simon here and not the, the, the name that Jesus gave him all throughout his ministry. He's going back to who he really is rather than who Jesus made him to be or who, who God asked him to be. Jesus is going back to his core, back to who he was. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Tosses a few more rocks in the, in the cove. And take care of my sheep, Jesus says. Take care of my sheep. Verse 17. Outside the cove, maybe they turned around and started heading back to where the other guys were. Jesus says a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt by this time. By this time, Jesus asked this question a third time. He said, Lord, you, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And then he goes into this little, this little chat. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself. But, but wherever you wanted, you went, you went wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death that he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and, and saw behind them the, the disciple that Jesus loved. The one who had, had, had leaned over to Jesus during, during supper and asked, Lord, who will, be, who will betray you? 
Peter asked Jesus, What about him, Lord? What about that guy, Lord? Jesus replied, If you want him to remain alive, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Don't worry about what happens to John. Don't worry about what happens to him. I'm concerned about you. I want you to focus on what I want you to do. Don't worry about John. This disciple is one who testifies at these events and has recorded them here. And, and we know that is his account for these things are accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose a, a whole world could not contain the books that would be written. It's amazing to me that, that Peter's concerned about John in this particular case. Well, what about him? What's going to happen to him? It's pretty amazing to me. In this very short time, in this very short conversation, Jesus brings Peter face to face with his sin. He doesn't let him off the hook. He, he, he says, I still got something for you to do. And he asks him to not worry about everybody else's assignment, to only worry about his own assignment. So these are the Peter principles, not this new Peter principle that you've heard about in corporate America. I'm talking about the original Peter principles. <laughs> To become a radical disciple, I must. Number one, face my past and then move on. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, If we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Acknowledge and accept your past. But then also move on. We can't just sit around and wallow in, in our past. And, and we also, on the same, in the same token, we can't just skip over all of our, our shortcomings and not focus on them and just keep moving on. They're both very important. We need to focus on our past but then move on. We need to face it. We need to you know, take it uh, as for what it was. We often see one or the other, but, but both are equally important. There are oftentimes people who def define themselves by their failures. Revelations chapter 12 and verse 10. Look at this one. It says, Then I heard a voice, a loud voice, shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the, for the what? For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. There are many people who define themselves by their failures because the accuser is on our tail all the time. He's constantly trying to bring us down by getting us to remember our failures. <coughs> Are you allowing yourself to be defined by your failure? There are others who don't acknowledge the past and are just focused on the future. And that's a fault as well. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 says, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. 
we see some who are not able to admit their shortcomings. And if they do, they have a tendency to move on before the lesson is learned. Write this down. We need to have a strange combination. We need to have a strange combination of humility with confidence. We need to have humility to admit our faults and see them and face them and deal with them. But we also need to have the confidence of our salvation to move on. We need to have a strange combination of humility and confidence. We need to go in the world, into the world with great confidence, ready and willing for God to use us and get his will accomplished. Not great confidence because of you're so cool, but because he's so cool. There's two competing forces if you look honestly at your life. The Revelation passage that we just read, talking about the accuser, he exists to accuse. He tries to get us to fixate on our failures. But the next force there, and found in that First John passage we just read, if Satan is a prosecuting attorney, then Jesus is the best defense attorney ever, rightfully. So that the devil accuses of legitimate sins and offenses, but Jesus says the penalty has already been paid. We never want to forget the shocking truth of our failures, but we also want to be glaringly aware of the confidence of our forgiveness. We need both effects on our lives, and at all times, we need to focus on both in order to be used by him. We have to have that humility, but we also have to have that confidence to move on. I know believers, I know many believers who have forgotten about their failures. They become that arrogant Christian, that arrogant believer who, who looks down on others for not coming up to their level. They've forgotten their failures. You might have a rough past. You might have a rough near past. You might, have, you might have made a major failure yesterday. Understand you're a sinner. But only the sick need a doctor, right? We talked about that. Pretending that everything is okay doesn't work. It only prolongs the pain. Face your past. But then be confident enough, be willing to move on. Peter principle number one. Peter principle number two. Find your primary calling and fulfill it. We see Peter called in, Matthew, in Mark 1, verse 16. Mark 1, 16. One day Jesus was walking along the seashore, and he called him, right? Come, follow me. I will, make you, I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets and followed him at once. We see Peter given his primary calling. In John chapter 21, we just read it. Verse 15 through 18, after breakfast, they went on this walk down the seashore. And Jesus reinstated Peter. He pulled him back in from his... his major failure. He pulled him back in and reinstated him into what? Feeding my sheep. Take care of the flock. Do what it is that you're good at doing. It wasn't his job. Had nothing to do with where he was located. It wasn't his career. His calling was his primary role in the kingdom of God. In the church. He could do this in any location, with any career, with any wife, with any mother-in-law. He could do this in any location. It didn't matter where he was. His primary calling was not affected by the external. His, his fulfilling his primary calling took, was, was about everything that he was, about everything that he did. 1 Peter 2 verse 11 says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that words war, wage war against your souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. 
Yeah, I see we need to have a, we need to have a calling. I understand that uh, Peter was called and he, he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. Well, it's easy for Peter because God gave him exactly what to do. God told him what his calling was. Well, God's not here. Jesus isn't around to, to walk down the seashore and, and throw rocks in the water and tell me what I'm supposed to do. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to find my primary calling, my role? If you're being obedient to the commands and principles that you do understand, God will show you where your primary calling is. If you're being obedient to the commands and principles that you do understand, God will show you where your primary calling is. And understand that your primary calling may, may not be in ministry. It may not be standing in front of anyone presenting a message. It may not be having Bible studies. It may not be uh, uh, starting an orphanage. It may not be a, a, a missionary to, to Africa or the Sudan or to make it. It may not be in ministry. It may be a ministry exactly where you are. God wants to use you the way you are and where you are. Your calling may be, may be to raise godly children. I'm not talking about the, all, the, all the stay-at-home moms that feel trapped in that job. I'm talking about any person who knows they were called to raise godly children. She may be the one on a career path but takes time and effort to see to it that she raises godly, well-behaving children. He may be a Fortune 500 CEO but takes a lower rung on the ladder to be sure he sends his children off with a desire for a real relationship with God. You see what I mean? That has little to do with where you are and what you're doing. Maybe it's God calling you to be a lighthouse in the academic world. Maybe it's God calling you into, into politics. I met with Senator Lundberg on Thursday night for prayer. He's an amazing guy. His calling is to be a light to be God's light in the legislature. He talked about the Bible studies that he's leading. He's teaching out of 2 Timothy right now. And believe it or not, there are legislators from both sides of the aisle attending his Bible study. It's amazing what he's getting accomplished. He talked about the depth of the morning prayer that begins each and every day in the, house, the state house representatives. Each day they start with prayer. He told me about Hugh McKean and how Hugh McKean's faith is what drives him. It's a guiding force in his life. He spoke of how proud he was of Vice President Mike Pence and the, the stand he's taking for God. Senator Lundberg was called into politics, but first he was called to love God and to serve God. And he's doing it wherever he is. I hope God doesn't call me into to politics. <laughs> but I'm so grateful for guys like Senator Lundberg who, who can do that right where they are. Living out his faith, living out his primary calling right where he's at. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you for, for your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. 
But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Don't get hung up on career. Don't get distracted by where you live. Don't get frustrated by, by what's going on in, in, in the outside world around you. Serve where you are. Face your past and move on. Find your primary assignment and get it done. And third, Peter principle, focus on your assignment, not on everyone else's stuff. Peter asks, but, but Lord, what about, what about him? What's going to happen to him, Lord? And what does Jesus respond with? If I allowed him to live his entire life and never have to die and join me in heaven, and uh, what is that to you? What's the point? Jesus gets a responsibility agenda going. He's, he establishes some priorities in Peter's life. He really lays it out for us. These are responsibility priorities. If you're going to focus on your assignment, not on everyone else's, you're going to have to have a lumberjack personal relationship. A lumberjack personal relationship. Let me explain. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge others or you will be judged. For you will be treated as the way you treat others. The standard you use against or judging, the standard will be used against you and, and you will be judged by. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? You need to have a lumberjack personal relationship. You need to be able to see where you are at fault and be able to remove that log from your life before you help others. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Think about it. You go in for LASIK surgery and the, the doctor walks in with Coke bottle lenses. Would you feel comfortable with that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd be like, oh, I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to go find another doctor. <laughs> It's the same thing. We have to have a lumberjack personal relationship with God. We've got to be able to see our own faults. We have to be able to get those logs out of our own eyes so that we can see the specks in our brother's eye. That's our number one priority. Our own relationship. My relationship with God is, should be primary in our mind. Your mind. Your relationship. Get the log out of your own eye. Then help those with the speck of sawdust. We can't just stop at getting the logs out of our own eye. Oftentimes we do. Oftentimes we say, well, I've got the logs out. Now I'm, yeah, I'm good. Me and God, we're good. It's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is asking us to go that extra step. Once you have the log removed, it's your responsibility to help those that have the specks in their eyes. And that's where it moves on to the second priority. The second priority is your family. First Samuel, we see a blunder. <laughs> 1 Samuel 3, verses 12 through 13 says, I'm going to carry out these threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God. Why? Because he hasn't disciplined them. Your second responsibility is your family. Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your children while there's hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Lead your family in the will of God. I call it the rule of the roof. You're in my house. This is the way things are going to go. It's the responsibility of each individual to care for their family. My second responsibility are those under my own roof. Thirdly, it's our spiritual family. 1 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 9. It says, When I wrote 
to you before. I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheap people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are to not associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or in greed or worship idols or abusive or drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is our responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but the scripture says you must remove the evil person from among you. We can't put up with sin in the camp. It's our third and, and, and very important responsibility to help those inside of our spiritual family gain a better understanding of what God wants us to do. That's our job, each and every one of us, each and every one of our assignments. Clean up our own self, get the logs out of our eyes, take care of our family, lead them in the Lord, and then third, to help our spiritual family. Those who are here this morning, be able to help them, be able to see where they're, where they're falling behind and be able to lift them up and pull them alongside. And last but not least, our world. It is our least, I guess I could say it's the least. It's the least important, but it's still important. It's still part of our assignment. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as you instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not be dependent on others. What are we talking about here? Well, it's talking about loving the world and being in the world and being able to live our lives in a quiet way so that they are, they are respectful and, and, and we can be respectful of them, they can be respectful of us. Our natural tendency is to flip this list upside down, isn't it? Think about it. Isn't it a natural tendency to flip this list upside down? We first want to focus on the big world problems and getting this world fixed. And we're going to do it however we, can, we see fit. And we're going to flip this, flip this list upside down. Focus on the world and its problems. We justify ourselves based on the corruptness of the world. We look at the church and we go around talking about how, well, this couple raised their kids wrong. And that couple is in, in a bunch of sin and, and isn't being addressed. And that guy over there, he's, he's rude to, to the kids. And did you, did you hear about what, what she said about what, what, what's her name? We're flipped this list upside down. We're focused on the world and we're focused on all the problems in the church. Our kids are in deep trouble. But we'll worry about them later. My own spiritual life is a disaster. But that, but that can be fixed another day. Mm -mm. Nope. If we're going to be a radical disciple and follow a radical Christ, we need to keep this list in order. We need to focus on what God wants us to focus on. We need to face our past, and then we need to move on. We need to find our calling, find our assignment, and fulfill it. Our primary calling, and fulfill it. We need to focus on our assignment, not on everyone else's business. Myself, my family, my spiritual family, and then my world. I have some work to do. on my own life, my own heart. I need to get myself into a place where I have a lumberjack relationship with God so that I can help my family be closer to them, closer to Him. I need to help my family be closer to Him so that I can help my spiritual family so that I can help my world. I hope you're on the same page. I hope you're in the same boat. And I hope you can see what we've talked about just now. You know what? 
Peter's principles are in place. And, and, and Jesus helped him see these things in his life. And he became a powerhouse in the church, in the kingdom, in his own life, in his own family. He did some amazing things. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, for allowing us to dive into it and understand it better. God, thank you for showing us who you are and, and helping us understand you better. God, we, we so fall short, so much fall short in this area of personal responsibility to you. God, I pray that as we, as we look at these things, we can face our past. We can understand that we are sinners and that we'll always be sinners and we'll need a doctor in every situation. God, help us to take the confidence in our salvation and move on. Help us to find our primary calling. Help it not to be a thing where we, we are distracted by it and, and we're, we're torn apart by it. But God, help us to, to find that primary calling and work on fulfilling it. And God, also help us to focus on our assignment, not on the assignments of everyone else. Help it to be a lumberjack relationship and help us to get that log out of our own eyes so that we can see the speck in others. God, that we'll, we'll understand that we need to help our family our, our family under our own roof and help them understand a good relationship with you. And God, also, that we can take that and, and use it to help others in the church. God, help us to clean up and help each other clean up so that we can be more pleasing and more accountable to you. And God, then we can turn our attention on the world around us. I pray that you'll bless with this. Guide us in this. Help us to make decisions based on what we've heard today. Help us to be different tomorrow because of what we've heard. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.